Welcome to PE Talks Africa, the African Private Equity and Venture Capital Association's podcast. In this series, industry leaders will share their views on the investment landscape in Africa and will discuss latest trends covering fundraising, deal making, value creation and exits across private equity, credit and venture capital. In the sixth episode, Carola Boss, Director and Head of Africa Funds, Equity and Mezzanine at DEG, Gorko Gatsu, Managing Director for Africa at the Overseas Private Investment Corporation, Adrian Kamenitzer, Director of Equity, New Products and Special Transactions at the European Investment Bank, Carol Mamon, Chief Investment Officer at BIO, and Stephen Priestley, Managing Director of Funds and Capital Partnerships at CDC Group, share their experiences investing in Africa and their evolving role as trailblazers of the industry. This Spotlight on Africa's Pioneer Investors is moderated by Genevieve Sangudi, Managing Director at the Carlyle Group. The session was recorded at the 16th Annual AFCA Conference in Nairobi in April 2019. My name is Genevieve Sangudi. I am with the Carlyle Group, and it is my pleasure to welcome our esteemed panelists. So, um, jumping right in, look, DFIs still represent a significant part of the private equity capital that is um, mobilized um, for Africa. So, just starting with, with Warku, what role do you think um, DFIs and OPIC in particular can play in catalyzing more private institutional capital um, for the region? Great. Um, I want to first start off by thanking the uh, AFCA organizing this, this panel and this event, I think has been extremely useful and has done a great job of getting the right people in the room. Um, yes, catalyzing uh, institutional investors is, 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 the, is the primary function of OPEC and quite uh, uh, serendipitously, actually, uh, I am here uh, as part of the uh, NASP MEDA delegation of American institutional investors um, that are visiting uh, Kenya and South Africa. It's paid for by the U.S. government through USAID, and we have about um, 30 institutional investors that in total represent um, one, roughly $1 trillion assets under management. I know you'll be hearing from uh, Donna Sims-Wilson, who's the NASP chairman, uh, shortly after this panel, who can give you more context and, and flavor, but I think, you know, trips like this are important because it exposes uh, institutional investors to um, the opportunities here mm -hmm. on the continent, both in terms of um, real assets and asset managers, uh, exposes them to the investment landscape, but then also helps them understand uh, the risks, either real or perceived. But I think, you know, importantly, uh, as the DFIs uh, here on this panel, right, you know, we have our financial products, our risk mitigation tools that definitely help in, in mobilizing capital, the guarantees, the political risk insurance. But I think one thing that, that we're trying to think through now is, is how can we leverage and use the data from all of our due diligence of various GPs and um, various projects and deals um, and using that to uh, share with American institutional investors um, to get them comfortable, especially if it's their, 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 their first investment. I think, you know, um, all of us here are sitting on a gold mine of data. And so being able to, to, to creatively share that, you know, can be that stepping stone uh, into additional mobilized capital. 
Okay, thank you for that. Um, Stephen, CDC has been one of the you know, largest and most active investors on the continent. How do you expect the role of your organization to change um, over, over the next decade or so? Um, yeah, no, I, um, thank you. Look, I mean, I, I think we, we, we're one of the largest LPs in Africa. Uh, I think it's about 80, 85 funds. I think um, the role we, we will play with our fellow LPs, both DFIs and commercial investors, I think is to try and um, understand and not underestimate the nature of the challenge that this industry currently faces, um, both on a financial level in terms of performance, but also uh, maintaining the operational discipline that is needed amongst, um, amongst all the GPs to, to ensure that we deliver returns uh, as an industry. Um, if we can do that, we'll, we'll be able to rebuild the, 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 the sort of perception of risk and return that I think is what will help mobilize private sector capital from, from the United States and from, from Europe uh, into our marketplace um, in scale, because ultimately I think that's what we're all setting out to do. And just to, to, to build on the point around data, I do think that you know, we need to be working with groups like AFCA and the DFI community using this data in a much more nuanced way to tell a story because there are very good stories to be told, um, both in terms of performance as well as impact uh, amongst the GP community. Um, I think a previous panel was talking about how this is a, a relatively young industry, which it is and it's still learning. And the prospects, I think, are incredibly attractive. So at CDC, what we will do is work on getting this data better organized and, uh, and, and better presented to the international investor community, uh, as well as figuring out how to also use blended finance techniques to try and appropriately take on parts of the risk-reward profile that, that we're happy with, but would also help bring in investors. Um, and we're very conscious about how to do that appropriately without distorting markets. But there's definitely a role for um, the DFIs to play there. And then finally, we talked yesterday um, in the LPGP uh, session around mobilizing local pension funds. I think the previous panel mentioned that. Mm. Um, it's a critical element of financial sector development in this, in this region. Um, there are growing pools of savings in these pension plans. And again, AFCA and the DFIs and the LPs can do a lot. We've got very specific action plans to, to help um, these pension plans um, come, come into this market and into, into this asset class. So there's work to be done there. Thank okay, you. thank you. Um, Adrian, I guess, would like you to comment, in addition to what EIB is doing to mobilize capital, what are some of the other, what are some of the impediments for why this is not happening as quickly as thank we you. all expected, expected it to? I, <clears throat> thank you, and again, uh, the first okay. speaker, excellent uh, job organizing the conference. It's a pleasure to be here. Before I move to the, to the difficulties, I'd like to also add my view on what we can do and what we are doing as DFIs. We are supposed to be, and I think we are the pioneers of the equity um, um, sector in, in emerging markets generally. And in addition to our funding, we bring a lot of knowledge of the market. And we also bring, um, you know, um, a bridge communication bridge between the private sector and the regulator. We, for instance, the European Investment Bank, we have been active for more than 20 years, uh, 20 years 
the private equity market in, in Europe, in Africa, well, in Europe too, in Africa. We have a very strong office here and um, <clears throat> we have already invested more than 1 billion in 100 funds. We are still asked every time there is a new fund, whether first time um, a fund manager or experienced fund manager, we are asked to participate because we do bring this knowledge of the market and also ability to bridge the dialogue sometimes with the, 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 um, the regulator, the public sector. In terms of difficulties, let's face it, um, Africa is developing at an extremely, extremely high speed. And indeed, the purchasing power demand is, is growing up. I would, however, um, say that transparency, predictability of the regulations, transparency, of the business environment and even of the way that the business environment is governed by the public sector, these remain uh, slightly behind other markets and we perceive them as difficulties. Thank you. No. Thank you. Um, so, I mean, let's, let's, let's move to the other big topic and the other, you know, uh, thing that we have to get right, returns. Carola, you know, DEG has also been a very active investor on the continent. You have, you know, over 40 GP relationships. What have been the biggest drivers of success and where there've been, you know, not where there've been failures, what has sort of led to that? So if you can just talk to us a little bit about your experiences investing across the continent. Thanks, Genevieve, and also thanks for inviting uh, DEG to this uh, panel. Yes, I mean, basically, private equity in Africa still is a nascent industry. When we compare it to um, Asia, for example, as another of the large emerging markets. But one thing we can say, we've been active for about 15 years in private equity in Africa. And by now, we've collected, we believe, uh, I mean, could I say sufficient, but at least a data set on which we can report. So 15 years, uh, 40 GP relationships average age of four and a half to five years, so it's still pretty young, the portfolio. I want to share with you uh, two things. So one, at DG, we are measuring, I mean, we have two KPIs. One is impact, so we're measuring impact, and in our impact uh, indices, African portfolio is consistently completely outperforming, and it's really, really pushing up the other geographies. That's one. If we look at the, and that was your question, if we look at uh, financial returns, I mean, we've started analyzing um, what's the distribution of returns in our portfolios in the emerging markets, and we've also compared that against benchmarks. So if you say if global benchmarks for private equity uh, returns in emerging markets are probably um, around 10, 11%, I can share with you our um, Asia uh, fund performance is beating that. Um, our Africa fund performance is probably between uh, 5 and 6%. So you can say it's substantially uh, below Asia and it's also substantially below the overall emerging markets index. But it's completely in line with the African um, benchmark um, that we can see from, um, from Africa, Ampere, etc., um, Cambridge. So what have we done? We have looked a little bit into that. Um, so one thing I can share with you, that performance is spread. So we have a number of uh, GPs that are um, showing us like a 0% um, return levels. We have others that are aligned with returns that we are, for example, seeing in Asia, like 11, 12, 13%. And yes, what, what, what can I share with you? What have been um, some of the um, 
you know, some of the experience. So maybe I'll start, you ask what's been the driver of the, the lower range of returns. So I think one is certainly, um, and in, in, in some cases, we believe there's been a strong learning curve on the side of GPs. And that learning curve means um, there will be a lower speed of investment and lower velocity of, of capital. So that's one of the drivers of the lower returns. Um, another one is a, a gross to net drag. So depending on, on how large your fund is and how, 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 how many expenses you are and how you're managing your capital, that can be uh, an issue that we discovered. Another uh, problem that we discovered is sometimes sticking to strategy and defining a strategy that is executable um, through your team. And by that we mean, um, I mean, in some cases, yes, the opportunity has been, there's an operational turnaround, there's a VC, but these opportunities are really challenging, so we can see that sometimes these opportunities track. Um, so these are some of the observations. And on the other side, I mean, what are the uh, observations we had on the ones that are on the, um, you know, upper side of the return range? Um, one I can say is we believe in Africa diversification is the key across countries, across industries. I mean, given the amounts of ethics and political uh, risk we're seeing, so that's one. Another one is certainly managing and awareness for effects risk. Um, so we've done a bit of analysis, and uh, don't quote me on that, but I mean, we're really losing on effects, so many percentage points in, in IRR. Mm -hmm. So I think the GPs that really very carefully manage the effects risk um, on a company level, whether that's making sure we have hard currency income, making sure our uh, procurement in, in hard currency is protected, so that's very, um, very important. Another one is really getting down to, to you know, structuring equity position, really getting into uh, structuring um, exit and creating a, a legal and structured alignment with the, um, with the promoters. That's also something we discovered very important. Um, then one gets back to um, what we've seen in GPs very successfully executing their strategy. They stick to their strategy and they make sure they build the capacity in their team to be able to execute that strategy. And that leads us to the next point, which is, um, I mean, yes, there's scarcity of, of talent in, in, in Africa in the PE industry. I mean, growing a team and making, making mm -hmm. sure um, on the team retention, all the young guys will stay with us, making sure we can grow them and making sure they're not jumping around. That's also what you know we saw as a, as a, as a driver of uh, success. And last but not least, um, we think the, um, I mean, having clean processes and having discipline, that certainly also helps. And I guess, I mean, ultimately to summarize, I guess we as DFIs being catalysts in, in this industry, what we, what we really want to do, we want to work with the industry, with the GPs to help um, as many GPs getting those returns up to um, reach the hurdle rate. and. Um, by that, mobilizing further capital from um, you know other parts of the world and other investors. Right. 
Okay, thank you, Carola. Yeah. I guess, Carol, BIO um, has a strategy that focuses on SME and some venture. You also have one evergreen platform for financial institutions. Can you talk to us a little bit about your experience and whether you think alternate fund structures um, is also something that we could consider a bit more in Africa? Hello, everybody. Yes, BIO is a mid-size uh, DFI, so we're doing tickets of investment from uh, 5 to 10 million. We have uh, supported uh, a, a dozen fund managers in, in Africa. So our focus is really uh, in the funds that where we think that we can play a role and that are well aligned with our, uh, our company strategy, meaning the SME funds, the financial inclusion funds, a little bit of venture capital, agriculture is also a focus, renewable energy. Um, yeah, we can look at different types and format of funds as long as they are very aligned uh, with uh, and very disciplined in their, in, in their structure. So as you mentioned, we, we have uh, invested in one financial inclusion fund that is an evergreen fund. We felt uh, with this topic that uh, it was, uh, it was quite sensible, in fact, to, uh, to do an evergreen fund because uh, you needed more time to, uh, to create some value than uh, with a pure SME fund. Whether this model will function with every type of uh, strategy, I'm not sure, I'm not convinced. But I think at BIO, what we want to do is to be uh, open to, uh, to discussion, to see where it can make sense, what kind of alternative structure can, uh, can be put in place. Right. So I think that's a bit what, uh, what our intentions are in this, uh, uh, in this pioneer's structure. Okay, okay, interesting. And from your SME and venture strategy, are you, what, is, what is your return profile across your GPs? Yes, uh, what we are expecting from our GPs is to have a return of 12 to 15%. So we're not targeting the more than 20% because SME funds are costly, mm -hmm. uh, exits are, are difficult, but we still feel that there is an important case to be, uh, to be done and that they have a very important uh, role to play also in the economy of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of their country. We, um, we think that there's the return case, there is the impact case, and we're quite convinced that we can bring this case also to uh, private investors also in Europe, and in particular in Belgium. Mm -hmm. And uh, right now we are raising a fund with private investors in Belgium, uh, trying to make these cases, both in terms of return and impact. And I must say it's, uh, it's opening doors, uh, it's opening mind also uh, among, uh, among Belgian investors. And uh, I think there is attraction uh, there also um, on the private side. No, fantastic. I mean, look, we've, we've heard from, from all of you in terms of your, your priorities to catalyze more capital um, for Africa, also have um, developmental impact, um, and also generate returns, because that's the only way we can catalyze um, more institutional sort of capital. Um, but we're also hearing, at least from some DFIs, um, that there is an extra push to invest in lower income countries within Africa, so excluding South Africa, um, even though Nigeria is lower income country, sometimes we hear Nigeria being excluded from that. So how do you balance all of these priorities, uh, i.e. in terms of you know, filling the capital needs where it doesn't exist, 
delivering the returns and getting the impact. So what message are GPs supposed to take from how we should think about you know, tailing products for, for DFIs? And please, anyone on the panel can, can answer that. Stephen, Adrian, sure, Adrian. Thank you. <clears throat> Let me make sure that this is working. I think to us, the issue is not so much not investing in certain countries. It is about not becoming complacent and investing only in certain countries. So uh, the moment that it becomes easier and the markets take off, we are less necessary, less useful, and we have in line uh, with our missions, we have to continue helping and we have to continue focusing our efforts where these efforts are needed since it's much easier to do business um, these days in certain countries, then of course we have to allocate or to our resources into the other countries. But I don't think it's a matter of trade-off. I think it is a matter of making sure that our resources are allocated, spread fairly and evenly where they are needed. Thank you. Okay. Anyone else want to yeah. add to that? Um, no, the, I mean, the way we look at this is, is um, slightly nuanced in the sense that we don't look at this as a trade-off or as a zero-sum uh, exercise. Um, more importantly, it's to make sure that, that the mandate that a, a GP has and the relationship it has with its LPs is very clear and, and established up front, and that's, that's well understood. And that expertise is brought to bear on that sector or that country. Um, and the expectations around impact and return are very clear up front. So there will be some, some GPs that have a specific uh, strategy that, that will deliver different type of outcomes uh, versus others. So uh, we, we would like to encourage uh, capital to, to earn a decent return and have the impact. And it's up to the GPs to, to try and uh, you know, have their, their, their own priorities and, and strategy. Um, around that, and there are there are GPs that are focused on fragile, conflict states, on small states, difficult markets, and as long as that matches with the right type of investor base that understands the challenges and the upside and the impact, that's 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 the nuance. That's that's the uh, the important bit is to match expectations with with uh, capital. Okay. I just wanted to to add on to Steve's great point and just. Uh, reaffirm that you know, OPEC is 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 demand driven. It's client driven, right? It's 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 where it's where our clients see opportunities and come to us. And so you know, both from our funds product, even our our our, our debt product, right? I mean, it is where you know people see opportunities mm -hmm. and coming, making the case that you know there is a economic kind of angle, but there is also a development angle. Is is ways that you know we will assess um, um, a certain project and or deal. So, you know, some of it, you know, falls back onto our, to our potential clients and, and, and customers. Okay. Maybe I can interview sure. on this one. I think uh, we have, of course, portfolio strategy uh, with uh, fund managers. And there are the fund managers that are quite mature, already raising their second, third, fourth funds. And with them, I think we are expecting something a bit different than uh, younger or earlier fund managers. And uh, we're maybe more requiring 
in terms of uh, return, in terms of execution capacity. Now, with first fund manager, which are often those that are in the, uh, small, with smaller tickets, uh, in the higher risk countries, uh, where the team is not yet uh, completely uh, formed or trained, I think we have a different role that we, we also want to play, is to accompany these fund managers in their, in their life and in their, uh, in their development. Sense. So, speaking of OPIC, uh, Warku, we're all very eager to hear about you know OPIC 2.0, you know the new U.S. International Development Finance Corp. So, please share with us how this is going to be different, how your approach to Africa is going to be different, and what we should expect from OPIC, um, you know, in the coming years. Sure. Um, so, for uh, those who, who, who aren't aware, uh, last fall, uh, our Congress and uh, President Trump signed into law uh, legislation called the BUILD Act. And um, it has been, you know, the BUILD Act uh, is, I think, one of the most significant uh, reforms in the development finance space in the U.S. government in the past 40 years. Um, it significantly modernizes. Um, and provides us additional tools to, um, you know, with the intended purpose of mobilizing more capital and having a greater development impact. And so some of the specific kind of changes that the BUILD Act uh, um, will bring to the new Development Finance Corporation includes an increased lending cap from uh, our current level of $29 billion to now $60 billion. Um, mm -hmm. We will also be able to provide equity investments. So along with our debt product, our insurance, our, 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 our funds of funds, we will uh, now have, have equity authority. Um, you know, few of the reforms I think are, are actually quite important for, for the continent in particular um, are two. First is our flexibility on the U.S. nexus. Um, okay. Historically, we've had a 25, uh, requirement of 25% U.S. equity or ownership of a project for OPEC involvement, and uh, we've seen that over the years it's been it's been it's been difficult to meet that threshold. And so, the idea of getting us more flexibility with that nexus um, uh, hopefully opens up the aperture uh, in terms of the types of deals we can we can now look at. So does it does the U.S. nexus go away completely, or is it just reduced? We have we have we have flexibility. So on okay. a, on a, on a, on a case-by-case case basis, on a country-by-country on country basis, um, um, you know, taking, taking an opportunity to, to see, you know, is there, is there a strong development angle? Is the, is, is the country a country in which, you know, we haven't been able to execute deals in the past? So I think we have flexibility in, in, in how we interpret um, what level of U.S. nexus is necessary. Um, um, and then the second piece is, uh, within the Build Act, there is uh, attention placed on uh, targeting our investments in low-income and lower-middle-income countries. Um, a concentration of those are on the continent here. So, you know, Africa is OPEC's largest regional exposure at the moment at about 6.2 billion. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, with the double lending cap, you know, my goal as the MD of Africa is to, is to double our regional exposure here in the region. Okay, excellent. We're all looking forward to being beneficiaries of that. <laughs> uh, 
Um, and I guess for the rest of the panelists, um, how will this change how you work with OPIC um, in the future? Um, how do you guys perceive sort of this new flexible approach from, from OPIC? Adrian? Yes, we, we talked a little bit before the panel, so the question is indirectly targeted at me. I, I think we're welcoming OPIC, as, uh, in particular in the equity field, because we, I'm here representing the equity team, so I'm very keen to, to be able to now work with OPIC, with OPIC being a shareholder, literally, in our own funds. So I'm looking forward to this new era, if you yeah, and, okay. and I Carole. don't think we can, uh, you know, some people were referring to, 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 to maybe flooding the market. I don't think that's the case. Um, any fund needs a balanced shareholding structure. And I haven't seen so far many funds in Africa who could say, well, I only need two shareholders because they will provide, it, provide each of them 50 million or 100 million, so I don't need other shareholders. I don't think that's the case. So having more money for the equity space in Africa will only um, boost this sector, in my view. It will not distort the sector, it will boost it. That's my view. Okay. Carilla? Yeah, yeah uh, I'd like to, uh, thanks, Adrian. I'd I like to add. So basically, how, how this relationship uh, started off, and some, some of you may know, um, I, I mean, of course, there's been discussions around the, the earlier OPIC products. So, this whole new build act started off on a, on a really positive note with OPEC management doing a tour in Europe and, and really working on cooperation with the DFIs, which, which is seen as extremely positive uh, by our management and by, by us. And then the other one is, I mean, obviously, and we, we've been discussing this yesterday, I mean, we have this huge, huge fundraising gap in um, equity in funds in Africa. So OPEC, Will, we believe OPIC will play a very, very important uh, role, and we're very much welcoming OPIC into, um, yeah, into, in, into this cooperation and into the equity product. So this is fantastic news. Yeah, uh, I forgot to mention, and, and thank you for, for yeah. reminding me, uh, our CEO <laughs> and some of our executive management uh, took uh, a European swing uh, last week, uh, two weeks ago, and okay. essentially, Paid a visit to, to five of our of our European DFI brethren, um, and you know explained to them that there will be a new development finance corporation and ready to, to, to cooperate and work together. And just in terms of, I realized this is a slight oversight that I didn't even mention about timeline and kind of right. when this will all go could go into effect. So we are currently actually in the transition period where working through you know everything from how we will deploy equity to what our new logo will look like. But you know, the, the, the timeline in which we will transition into the new development finance corporation uh, is October 1 of this year. Okay, cool. Congrats and, and excellent. Um, Stephen, you're new, your role at, at CDC, you know, um, and like OPEC, you know, increased allocation of capital, especially to, to Africa. So what do you hope to accomplish um, over the next, call it five years. Um, well, thank you. I um, well, CDC is—it's been a long-standing player in the private equity market in Africa. So we would very much like to continue that, um, and where needed and where appropriate, step up to to help um, appropriately the, the GPs during this difficult phase, um, as 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 the industry um, needs the capital. Um, 
Our, but our really our stated objective is, is to mobilize private commercial capital into these markets, um, and that is a, a, a very important priority. I mean, I, ideally, we would like to see a situation in, in time, in, in, at the end of the next cycle, where a CDC and other DFIs aren't, aren't uh, required, and we've managed uh, uh, to attract, for good commercial and development reasons, commercial players into the marketplace. And at that point, um, we would focus on much more difficult markets, um, uh, in, in, you know, the fragile conflict states, smaller economies, difficult sectors. Um, and so that's a transition we would like to, to be able to make alongside this industry. So we're, we're going to, you know, we have more capital um, to put to work. So um, we're also going to explore the private credit markets. Um, where we feel that um, given what's happened to the, the banking industry, um, both uh, internationally and, and in the local markets in Africa, are, are, are confronting difficult choices around deploying their balance sheets. So there's definitely a gap in the, in the, in the debt product and the requirements, whether it's at, at basic fundamental banking um, for trade finance, for working capital, for inventory finance, all the way up to the sort of larger, special situation, sort of event-driven credit um, requirements. And we're seeing a, a, an exit by a lot of the banks. Um, and there's definitely a role, I think, that private capital can play um, in Africa uh, appropriately. And we'd like to work with uh, GPs and other LPs in, in addressing that issue as a new asset class whose time may have come. Um, we're going to do more co-investments uh, and try and become a, a better, more reliable partner on the co-investment stage. So I think that will help improve returns and, 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 and predictability. Um, so that's, some, that's the other area that we're going to be focusing on. Okay. So why don't we stick to the co-investment um, point for, for a minute, and I know each of you has sort of a different approach, strategy um, regarding co-investments. Um, so maybe Carola, you can comment on, on DEG's sort of co-investment approach. How important is that to meeting your capital deployment goals? And from a process perspective, how are you finding it working with GPs? Are you able to meet sort of deal timelines? So what can you sort of do to improve that process? What are you saying? You're not alluding to uh, DFI's process timelines here, are you? Def, I would <laughs> never. <laughs> okay. No, no, thanks, uh, thanks, thanks for the question. I mean, so, so obviously, I mean, having those close relationships with the GPs, I mean, part of our strategy is also um, supporting the GPs, uh, funding the transactions um, on, the, on, the, on the equity transaction side. So we're very open to um, cooperate on, on, on co-investment with the GPs, and uh, most of our GPs will... Uh, know this, and there we believe uh, we can not only add value on the, um, you know, on the funding side, but then being a German government agency, like let's for example say you're funding a bank, may also really help a lot in terms of solvency and other ideas. And we can also we offer uh, a lot of TA programs on which we actually support not only on the G. Um, 
on the on the um, sorry on the on the GP level, but also um, on the on the portfolio company level. I mean, ranging from uh, TA-funded working capital assessment to, um, as we discussed yesterday, uh, you know, diversity uh, performance assessments, etc. So, so we're doing um, all that, and we believe we have uh, mutually beneficial uh, relationships there. Then. Um, I think in, in, in terms of our direct portfolio, uh, I would say by now uh, the largest share of it is co-investment vis-a-vis uh, -vis, um, what we call standalone direct investment. And we also, you know, like investing with strong uh, lead financial investors. Then on the process side, I mean, obviously we recognize that's one of the uh, the pain points for, for, for a lot of the GPs in our process. So I can say the way we've organized ourselves as DG is that we're running direct investment out of the fund team, which means we want to make sure it's the identical same relationship and we have all the synergies. And we also have um, some, how can I say, shortened approval processes for co-invest. I mean, judging, I mean, so maybe we cannot do like three weeks, uh, maybe we cannot do four weeks, but maybe there have been cases where, we, where we're doing six to eight, eight weeks, which, which I believe is, is acceptable in the, in the African uh, context. Okay. Um, you know, I have, I have the luxury of, of taking an Africa lens across all of our products, the debt, the insurance, and the fund of funds. And, you know, one of the things that, that I've quickly caught on uh, in my short time at, at at OPEC is when GPs come to me with our funds team talking about their fundraise, um, I always pop in and ask about how the portfolios of companies are doing. Are they in a position to take on our debt for working capital or scale or growth? I find that those discussions and um, their views and their knowledge of just the local investment landscape um, is, is, is a great resource for us to deploy our other products. Okay. Helpful. Carol, what's your experience working with SMEs and co-investment? How, how much of a, how important is that to BIO strategy? Well, we don't have so many co-investments with our PE funds. Uh, I think that's something we we will try to uh, to develop in the future, as long as it fits also in the investment strategy of uh, of our fund managers and of the funds they they, they manage. Um, indeed, in direct equity, we will prefer doing some, uh, some co-investments than doing it ourselves. Also because being in Belgium, we feel that uh, we get more support from okay. uh, the fund managers in, uh, in managing these uh, this equity investments. Okay. Um, but I think beyond uh, co-investment, which is an important topic, uh, we also aim to, to create more partnership with our fund managers and that they are also a bit our eyes and ears on the markets that we are developing. Okay, fantastic. I want to leave a few minutes so and see if there are you know, one or two or three questions from the audience. So I think I'll open it up now. So any questions? Shy bunch. Okay. So while you think about questions, um, why don't we talk a little bit about um, exits, right? Still always pressing, pressing issue. Um, you know, hearing from you guys that there, there are more secondary exits sort of in the market, big funds buying from small funds, 
Um, you know, just any commentary for how you guys are seeing the evolution of the exit environment in Africa and support for every kind of exit structure. Because you're in so many funds, you know, one of the potential issues could be that you end up having exposure to the same asset for a longer period of time if, you know, your fund managers are buying from each other. So any comments on that would be helpful. Please go ahead, Adrian. Thank you. I, I was actually very, very pleased and complete agreement with one of the uh, previous uh, um, panel's members who talked about exits. The reality is that when um, the investee company is performing well, then the exit risk is greatly, greatly mitigated. Yes, exits in Africa are not easy, but we know it at the outset. And the fund manager has to demonstrate that there is something in place this risk. Sometimes we focus more on dividends, sometimes we have to wait a little bit. But to me, the key is to have a successful portfolio with underlying companies that, you know, they produce value, that have positive cash flows and return on capital, and then the exits will come. I'm not saying that we should diminish the the difficulties of exiting our investments and at the end of the day recycling our capital. What I'm trying to say is that this is not a deal breaker. Um, as far as the European Investment Bank is concerned, we tend to invest in, in funds that are focused on growth capital. They don't buy out other companies. So we provide funding for growth for investment. So we don't support ourselves, the secondary market. But indeed, I would also be curious to hear from my fellow panelists what they think about the secondary market. Right. Anyone, Stephen? Um, you know, it's a it's a it's a very interesting issue from a development uh, impact thesis. Um, so you you could you could uh, and we're exploring this and we haven't reached a conclusion. But there's definitely from a local capital markets development uh, perception. Or financial sector development, or for the for, for this industry to play a, a role in, in in improving the velocity of the capital in the private equity industry is definitely something we're looking at. It's not something um, that you know. If there is a market failure, as it were, that that needs to be unblocked so commercial capital can come in. In those contexts, and we're seeing this in other markets outside of Africa. Uh, in India, for instance, where um, some capital markets development work is, is something that the DFIs uh, could at least evaluate. The, the, the actual conclusions we haven't reached yet, but so there are situations where if you can, if you can really um, actually accurately describe the, the impact uh, on the capital markets, that a secondary participation could make sense. But I agree. I mean, our primary our primary role is growth capital. Um, um, so we're looking at it, but it, it's definitely something that um, needs to be balanced. Okay. You talked about how difficult it was for exits for you know SMEs and venture type businesses. What is your perspective on? Well, uh, maybe exits uh, can be uh, achieved. Uh, good exits, uh, much more difficult, and I think uh, their scale matters. Uh, size, leadership, being a regional-based uh, uh, company, 
uh, these are important to be able to have uh, strategic investors coming in and to have uh, IPOs being able to, be, to reach the capital markets. So unfortunately for, for the SME and uh, especially the small segment, that's, uh, there are exits, but uh, with, uh, with lower multiple, which uh, doesn't uh, uh, help so much in the, in the, in the business case. But um, I think uh, there's also, um, we, there are other opportunities that we, we should try to develop as, uh, as DFIs, mm -hmm. like uh, mezzanine funds that, uh, that reduce the, the exit risk. Also allowing our, our fund managers to, uh, to be on uh, secondary transactions. I think uh, if you look at the VC space, that's exactly what's happening, uh, where there's uh, not so many investors on the seat, but uh, more, much more, more investors, in fact, in the class B or class C. And there you have secondary transactions happening naturally. So it's also our role. I don't see us going in the pure secondary funds, but I think uh, the funds that we are investing in are already having this, uh, this secondary strategy in some ways. Okay, fantastic. Carola, any, any thoughts? Uh, yeah, yeah, thanks. I, I mean, I can only echo the original thesis was uh, also for the funds to go into primary uh, capital. I, I believe that's one of our thesis, but the, the reality, and there I can echo uh, Carola, um, the reality we're seeing, there's really, I mean, yeah, there's a role for secondary uh, transactions. And frankly, for an industry that's evolving, probably that's not all that bad. And we need to take the, the, the companies one level further. So it's not like we're completely opposed to that. But I, I do believe it'll be very important to the industry. Um, and, and that's, um, I mean, true for all of us to really develop um, alternative access channels to strategic investors. So we can work on that a bit more, maybe even strategic investors from outside Africa. And also, um, yes, I think we've all, we're all waiting for this IPO route. And we're all waiting to see those, you know, big IPOs on either the local stock exchanges or the London stock exchanges. So uh, I think that's also something where we can all try to focus and work on and uh, try to support to, to, to really, you know, work on these exit routes. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, panel, I would like to thank you very much for your time. I think you know the role that your respective organizations play in the development of the private equity industry in Africa is, is important. And we all look forward to you know more from you and um, working with you. So thank you very much. Thank you, Genevieve. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To find out more about the African Private Equity and Venture Capital Association, please visit avca-africa.org.